often when we want somebody to do something in life, when we want to see somebody display a certain behavior, we need to model that behavior first. We need to take the first move in the game of vulnerability chicken, right? Like you got to be the one to make the move. Like don't wait for somebody else. So to, to get someone to open up, to take in your message, to listen to you, you need to be uh, open. You need to break down those walls. You need to show way more of yourself uh, than what somebody else typically would. You got to do it a little differently. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I am your host, Robin Colucci. And you know, one of the great things about authorship is the amazing new opportunities that can come about as a result. New doors open, new connections happen, and new discoveries that are made that you can make about yourself, your own work, and your life. And one of the great examples of that is my guest today, Joshua Rividall. Now, Josh is an author, speaker, educator, and stand-up comic. He has spoken about suicide prevention and mental health in over 550 locations over the past 12 years across the U.S., Canada, U.K., and Australia. His original coursework on suicide prevention is taught in Washington State to dentists, pharmacists, and occupational therapists. But what you might be surprised to find out is that Joshua started out as an actor. His voice has been heard on U.S. national commercials like Dell, McDonald's, and Dunkin' Donuts, and as part of the award-winning voiceover cast of The Art of Secrets. In the business world, Joshua has consulted for the marketing team of the world's best-selling author, James Patterson. And Joshua himself is the author of six books, including his memoir, The Gospel According to Josh, a 28-year Gentile bar mitzvah. As you can guess, Josh definitely has a sense of humor, and you can probably also guess from his bio that he has had some of his own demons to wrestle, and he has taken this entire mix of experience into an incredible alchemy that has led to a rewarding and fulfilling career and life for Josh, and I believe you will really benefit from hearing about his journey and how his decision to become an author really became a key place for new beginnings. Enjoy. So Josh, welcome to the Author's Corner. Thank you, Robin. I'm so pleased to be here. Thank you. I am so pleased to have you. Uh, you know, it was so much fun when we first met and we got to have a wonderful conversation discovering all kinds of parallel things in our journeys and our interests. You know, that's such fun to mm. meet a kindred spirit. And one of the things that came forward as I reflect on you and your journey is that 
you know, you started out as a performing artist, mm-hmm. right? You started out in theater and comedy, and you have gone through a lot, <laughs> quite a journey, and landed in this place where you have found a way to integrate your art, your experience, your wisdom, your heart into a completely different kind of career. And a lot of this is tied to your authorship. So that's what I really want to learn from you, Josh. And I think what our listeners can really learn from you is that, you know, writing a book is not just writing a book so you can stand up in front of people and wave the book around and say, look at me, I'm an author. It changes you. And as a result, it changes your journey and your path. And so mm-hmm. I'm not going to give away any spoilers. <laughs> so let's just go all the way back to when you were a budding actor and performer. Yeah. Uh, I started doing that professionally at 19. I, uh, I did a year of community college. All I really cared about was singing and acting and being funny and I forgot to apply to colleges and, uh, and then, and then <laughs> I did a year of community college and then I started community theater and I was like, I think this is the track I'm on. And then I started auditioning for stuff professionally. I lived in North, like kind of North Jersey and commuting to New York city. And I started booking work, right? Like, and it was wild. I mean, it's sporadic. You're an actor. You, you're, it's off and on, right. but uh, it was musicals. It was, you know, footloose. It was sound of music. It was that stuff. And then um, even in those couple of years, I started touring and then I was like, oh man, like I'm not working as much as I want to be. And they're not, you know, I, there's only so many times you could do music man again, which I love, but like, <laughs> you know, I'm not, I'm, I'm, I gotta, if I want to be that role, I gotta grow into it. Let me create something for myself. So I started like, right. I started getting into the entrepreneurial side of things and I started writing a bit and it was terrible. It was not good writing. Um, I had no background, no knowledge. And I, I, I mean, I started getting called on the acting side, I started getting callbacks for like Jersey boys and like on Broadway and, and Broadway touring and rent and a couple other things. Mm. And it, I was getting close. There was no cigar mm. and, and yeah. I, I lost an agent and I lost a manager and the, the, there was all this upheaval and I was like, I'm tired. And then my dad passed away when I was 25. Um, he actually died by suicide, which is like a big part of the story. And that was kind of the last, I was like, I can't, like, this is just so much. And I'd already started producing theater and, and I, I was writing a bit and it, was, it wasn't it was great, but it was getting better. I was getting readings. I was a playwright at the time. And then after my dad died, I wrote this one man show. I had a really great teacher, Matt Hoverman. Um, and just everything you want in a writing teacher, much less a, you know, a one person show writing teacher, but just supportive and kind and talented. And just, I I can't say enough about the guy. Mm. And, and I had some great classmates. So in this class, I wrote this one person show that ended up turning into 16 characters. I sang in it a little bit. It was sort of the coming of age of story of me growing up in a very religious, oppressive background. My dad being kind of the biggest bully in my life, which is true. And then at the end, so it's mostly kind of funny. And then he dies by suicide at the end. And it's kind of how, how it affected me. I workshopped it in New York City. It did really well. Then I, I it was produced in a fest in a couple of festivals. Then I got invited to do it in Philly. And it started doing really well. And so this is in the span of like two years after losing my dad. Beginning of 2011, about the two-year mark. And it was after I produced this show uh, in New York City. Uh, this the, the show at the time was called The Gospel According to Josh. 
and people liked it, got good reviews and everything. And, and but after that, um, I, uh, I happened to be in, in crisis myself. I didn't know anything about mental well-being, emotional well-being, resilience, taking, looking after yourself. That wasn't in my vocabulary. My dad died by suicide. His dad died by suicide. And I, it was sort of this, ah. I didn't want it to be inevitable, like but it. it kind of felt like it was going to be. And, um, and I was just, you know, I was going through all these major changes, a bad breakup, some trauma at home, just all this, this perfectly imperfect storm of trauma, really, uh, a lot of things all at once. And um, beginning of 2011, I was like 10 weeks shy of my 27th birthday. And it was like the darkest period of my life. I don't wish it on my worst enemy. And I, I started thinking that I, you know, that nobody cared about me or loved me and the world would be better off if I were in it. Uh, about a six week period, uh, I was thinking about suicide a lot. Thankfully, I had this epiphany. It was like, Josh, you don't want to die. You just don't want to feel this emotional pain, which is very, which is common, which is nobody wants to die. And so anybody who's going through that, they don't want to die. They just don't want to be in the, the emotional space that they're in. And so I got help from my mom, through friends, through family, through counseling. And I realized, holy cow, I have this one man, like I wanted to be helpful too. And so I had to, you know, I had to like learn how to cope again and live again and do differently. So I would never get back to that place. So I started learning and growing and doing these things. It took a while. Like, you know, I'm giving you the abridged version. Right. But around that period of time, I was like, man, you know what? I need to be helpful as well. Sort of the AA model in a sense where like to, 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 to get help, you need to be helpful as well. It's part of the process, not the entire process. And so I, I was like, and I had this epiphany. I was like, I could take that one man show that I had, condense it, put it on his head, get trained and start giving talks on at least my experience and to be helpful. And then I, you know, I started getting like legit training and started learning how to talk about suicide prevention and mental health and emotional well-being, and did that, you know, at a university four months after I nearly died, a young man got help um, at the end. And from there I started booking speaking events. And then about a year and a half later, I put together my first book, called The Gospel According to Josh, a 28-year Gentile bar mitzvah. I, lo <laughs> I love your, your subtitle. I it's just so love silly. it. I mean. <laughs> and, uh, and I had, you know, I just didn't know what, what I didn't know. And I'm glad I did the book. It was, it was received really well. It led to lots of things in the beginning. I thought it was about book sales. And then I realized this is an ex like in a good way. It's an expensive calling card. It's an expensive business card. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, it led me to book more speaking work. I, it did sell. I got on some recommended reading lists. It led to tens of thousands of dollars of speaking events. It led to some very important relationships in my life. It led to me being seen as more of an expert in my field. Uh, and led to me then, you know, building other books uh, as part of a series called The Impossible Project. It led me to a lot of different things. Uh, it led me to learn about self-publishing. It led me to then be able to work for six months in the, uh, on the marketing side of James Patterson's team at Little Brown. It led to a lot of different things. And so I turned all, all that entertainment into uh and i pair it it all goes together but and now i do stand-up comedy with with the speaking work but it all it all it's not just the book and it's not just entertainment it all goes together and i've got to be good at all of it right so it's, right. it's uh it's an interesting place to be all right so we we've got the the reader's digest version now i want to go yeah. all the way back to your epiphany yeah. because what i'm hearing is that your your father died by suicide and that you 
sounds like you just got really busy. And then at some point it caught up with you. So would you be willing to share with our readers that epiphany moment? And I mean, our readers, pardon me. I'm so, see, everything's reading. Sorry, sorry, listeners. Uh, You're reading the transcript. (laughs) You're talking to someone who has her nose in a book almost every waking hour or a manuscript. Okay, so um, share with our listeners about that epiphany Mm. moment. Yeah. Which I've I've read a little bit about, but I think it would be wonderful if you would share it with Certainly. us. Certainly, well, you know, I think like the sort of the trans theoretical stages of change, right? So, like, not to get super heady about it, but like I had to sort of pre-contemplate, contemplate, do it, and move on it, right? That's sort of the abridged, oversimplified version. But I was I was busy kind of for a while. I was busy, as you said, I was busy kind of for the sake of being busy. I was busy because I didn't know how to cope. I was busy because it was some of it was productive. I was busy because I didn't know how to deal with the emotional stuff and as a way to avoid. It was a different kind of addiction in a sense, I guess. Um, but then that epiphany came and it was leading up to that. I was like, I want to be impactful. I want to make change. I want to do something. I realized that like, cause when I was going through my, the crisis I was going through, um, which epiphany are you talking about actually? Well, I see, I recall reading that you actually had a moment where you were on mm-hmm, the ledge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. That epiphany. Yeah. Tell us about that. And then we'll get, I, I imagine the next, the other epiphany probably came it out. It did. Yeah, it totally did. So that, okay. that so, epiphany, yeah. right? So it was like, your granddad died, your dad died. You don't want to be like these guys. I didn't know my grandfather. So part of it was an act of rebellion in a sense, right? And in, in the only way I knew how. And then part of it was like, wait a minute, there's all these other things happening. There's all these other cool things happening in this world. I could probably be a part of that. I can do that. What if I'm not unloved? What if I am valuable? It was sort of that. And it was like, it was also like, wait a minute, you're in all this emotional pain. You don't really want to die. You just don't want to feel like this, you know? And that like, that was a very like light bulb, cartoon light bulb moment. It was like, whoa. Yeah. And then I had to rack my brain as to who, how, where, and what I would do to get help. Mm. And that was a bit of a challenge because it all feels risky. I mean, it's so vulnerable, right? Like, I don't want anyone to see me like Mm. this. I don't want to be seen as a burden. I don't want, you know, anyone to worry about, you know, all this stuff that we get, the shame and the stigma, it's heavy and it doesn't have to be, but it is at the time. And I racked my brain and I finally reached out to my mom and we had no relationship at the time. Because at the time, and this is in the book, oh. in my book, uh, but she basically sued me and my brother and sister for the small inheritance my dad left us. And I felt very betrayed and lied to. And so I cut that relationship off. And I, and I liked my mom. And I loved her. But I, I, yeah. I liked her. Like, we were best friends. But, like, we were cool enough. So that was devastating, right, at the time. And I had well, yeah, because then in a way you lost your father and your mother. I did, yeah. And and my siblings in a way too, because even though I was, you know, I had to do some court stuff and I was fighting for them, they were still living at home more or less or tied to that. And so my mom was in their ear and, um, and mm-hmm. she was going through her own thing too. And I can look back and say that was her version of grieving and mourning and it was an unhealthy and we were all doing unhealthy things. But at the time, I didn't understand or realize that. And there was no way I could have that conversation. So I lost all of them, basically, for a while. And then I started to get my siblings back a little bit. And then finally, it was finally my mom. And it was in that moment of, I, I need some help. Like, And I just bawled. And um, 
I called her and I hadn't talked to her in like at least six months. And I was like, this is what's going on in my life. And, um, and initially she didn't, you know, it was very, it was very, she was very prescriptive. Like you should do this, you should do that, get back into church and blah, blah, blah. And I, I wasn't having that. Like, that's not how you help somebody. You listen, you don't judge, you're empathetic. Um, you don't approach with advice. You approach, you know, listening with the intent of learning with that intent of responding. I mean, I do all this in trainings now. And so you, a lot, mm. some of it's intuitive and some of it's not, but yeah. But it's nice because I can use that conversation as a way to model how we help and how we don't help. Um, so it's you, you use mm -hmm. the good, the bad, and the ugly to be helpful in the world, right? So that epiphany, thank goodness I had it because I don't, I don't know if I'd be here right now. Yeah. And it just, it just like came to you like from your own inner voice. Mm. I think so. God, the universe, my inner voice, something. Yeah. Um, yeah, something I've been, so. a, I, 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 yeah. when you look back and there's a through line because you put it there, like when you look back and you're like, oh my gosh, okay, mm -hmm. so there's this, there's this story arc, there's this narrative that we, we can create looking back. I mean, it's kind of what you do in memoir in a sense, but if you just do it in your life, regardless, you're not writing a memoir. And I've been a per pretty persistent guy looking back like i've i've you know sometimes <laughs> mostly it's a good thing and sometimes like you're you're really hitting your head on this wall a little too much. right uh, right <laughs> you need a helmet buddy um and i think that was kind of my approach to staying alive yeah because i mean think all right so first of all it's not in our dna to want to die like we've been running from right. saber-toothed tigers and tax collectors from the very beginning like <laughs> we 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 want to stay alive that's in our dna so I, I don't know if that was instinctively i knew that or not i know it now but uh yeah so that epiphany uh whew, grateful for it uh yeah and, and yeah I, i'm not exactly sure where it came from to to you know answer your question yeah, but it, yeah. it's there i think that's i think we all can relate to those moments right where some wiser calmer centered more grounded part of ourselves steps in and and helps guide us back to the right mm -hmm. direction, whatever that might be. So, um, and so you also got training on uh, supporting mm -hmm. people with suicide ideation and, uh, or, or, and it also sounds like helping others learn how to support somebody. Tell us exactly how are you doing, how are you expressing that today? Mm -hmm. And, you know, what does it look like for you today? So we can just see the whole art. Yeah, yeah. There's a few ways that that, 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 that happens. So like one way in Washington state, there are so that the state itself through the Department of Health requires that many professions like dentists, hygienists, social workers, osteopaths, chiropractors, and on and on to renew their licensure within that state, they've got to have one of three or four kinds, veterinarians too, uh, one of three or four kinds of training. Uh, two of them, one, one of them is a three hour training on suicide prevention. The other one's a six hour training. Some of it, depending on the profession has, you know, will have to do with veterans. Some of it will have to do with medicine, like dentists will have to do with like prescribing opioids and things like that for like pain. So I wrote, and I found this out. So I wrote a three hour training. I got some supervision on that because um, I'm not a PhD or anything like that. Right, but, right. I, you know, but I just wanted to make sure what I was doing was correct. I mean, I've been doing the work for so long um, and I have a lot of training on that in a variety of ways. And so I wrote this three hour course, I got it approved. Um, and so I deliver this three hour training to dentists, uh, chiropractors. I've done a lot of dentist work in that yeah. state and also in Arizona too. Is it? Am I mistaken or do dentists have the highest suicide? That rate? actually is a common misconception. I had to look that up. 
myself. Oh, like I okay. bought that too. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I think, and I don't know, I, I can't remember. Um, no, it's um, construction, construction. Yeah, construction. construction. People in construction and, and, and adjacent to that field, yeah. Really? Yeah, and I, I don't have all the data and stuff in front of me as to why that is. Yeah. And I, yeah. And I can almost speak intelligently on it, but because I don't have the facts, I'm not going to say why. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so when you're doing the training, you're doing training with people who are at higher risk of suicide versus or, – or are you also doing training? Because if you're working with – I would imagine if you're working with physicians and people in the healthcare field, is, is the training also – to help them identify somebody who's at that's risk? That's mainly what it is. Yeah, that's on that side. That's, that's what you're doing. What okay, that is. got so, it. So what I'll do with them okay. is I'll, because they're, most people, not everyone, but most people, even if it's a captive audience, because like, we got to keep our licensure. So like, right. <laughs> I got to, I got to tell stories. Like I got to tell them a story to, to start, to get their interest, to engage them, to activate the insula in their brain and things like that. And then I start, and there's some requirements that the state has. So it's like something I'm not a big fan of, but like, okay. So like some statistics and like what things look like in Washington state, what things look like in the U S and then it's like, all right, signs and symptoms, risk factors. Like, um, so it's, it's very much on the side of being a helper. Like that's really what that's for. Mm -hmm. Now there's a nice thing because I do offer the help, the helper side of things, generally speaking, no matter what audience I'm speaking to, but there's a nice side benefit to that. And that is that a, a lot of people won't engage in a conversation around mental health and well-being because, A, they think it's like mental illness, which is not it's not the same thing. Like I live with mental illnesses, mm -hmm. but they're not the same as mental health. They can affect, but they're not the same. So they think that and that's highly stigmatized and like so. But they're health conditions. Right. Um, and so we need to start framing them that way. So there's some stigma or there's a, I've been through trauma and I'm it's too painful for me to talk about this or to deal with it. And so instead of them engaging in the conversation as them saying, I need help, they're like, well, I can help somebody else. And so now mm -hmm. they're getting this training and they're getting some basics. So it eventually, I think through osmosis and things like that, they're going to be more willing to engage in the conversation of like, wait a minute, I've been helping so many other people. I'm depleted. I need to start going on this path of, of being helped as well. So that's, that's a nice side of things. Now, when I do stuff at universities, and I do I do work at a lot of universities for for student audiences, and I'll do mm. it's, it's storytelling. I'll probably lead off with about ten minutes of stand up, connect that to humor and humor being a coping skill, and then I dive into right. adolescence and all the things I struggled with going through things, and I pull mental health and suicide prevention concepts out of the story, and then I lead to the academic side. And it's, you know, the basics of mental health and well-being and resilience and stress and why that's not always a bad thing and some vocab stuff and then how to be a helper, resources, Q&A. So um, it looks a little different depending on the audience. I do middle schools. I do high schools. I do staff stuff. Hmm. Um, just about everything has a little bit of suicide prevention in it, um, even if I'm just calling it crisis intervention or how to help somebody in distress because hmm. not everybody's comfortable with the S word. So there's little ways to sort of fit it in. Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book with a real book publishing deal behind it that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach? In case you're new to the author's corner, my name is Robin Colucci and I help world-class experts write world-changing books and get them published. With over 30 years in the publishing industry, 
I've helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishing houses. Many have gone on to become New York Times, Amazon, and Wall Street Journal, as well as USA Today bestsellers. And others have increased their business income by 600 times or more as a result of their book being out in the world and the partnering work that they did with me and my team. If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, go ahead and book a free consultation call with my team today. We have a limited number of spots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, go to www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Go ahead and fill out the application form to be considered for one of our exclusive spots. Again, the link is www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Now, back to the show. So as I'm thinking, you know, as you're, as you're speaking, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, I, that, that comedy or humor is such an incredible balm, if you will, for the, or, and it's almost like, I think it can also be a, just a really helpful way to process trauma mm -hmm. in a way. Tell us a little bit about how humor has helped you or how you've seen it help others. And, and uh, yeah, maybe something along yeah. those lines would be interesting. A couple of things, right? So I know growing up, and I you don't have the words growing up, but I look back and it's that through line that we that we sort of connect and humor and silliness and jokes, even though they weren't well-crafted or well-written at the time, but six, seven, eight years old, I'm telling jokes so that I wouldn't get hit, so that I wouldn't get screamed at, so I wouldn't, oh, right? Okay. So it was a way to mitigate. Yeah. So it was a survival mechanism growing up, right? Mm. So that's one way. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. kind of sad, but there's it's a little tragic, but there's also some beauty in there too. And then humor, I mean... In the book that are the gospel according to Josh, uh, there's a lot of humorous moments throughout that lighten that book up because if it was just about suicide and death, like nobody, I wouldn't want to write it. Nobody would want to read it. So I have to have <laughs> right. pop culture references. I got to keep it bouncy. I got to put things in there. Uh, I remember writing a whole, maybe a page about how we get gouged by the funeral industry and, it, and it's this whole, and I read this whole sort of thing and it was really, really well received because it was relatable. A lot of people can kind of relate to that. Um, and then with the comedy, when I do them at these events, it gets them to, tr it's a great way to get people in the room, right? Like they're like, this is interesting, or this is probably going to be a train wreck. Let's go watch it. And they're like, oh, and they come in and they have a good time. They're like, oh, that wasn't at all. Because I think sometimes people right. think I'm going to make fun of suicide or mental health. And I don't do that, right? Like I don't right. tell those jokes. I do someday. I do want to release a special, though. I know this is kind of ballsy and weird, but it's like you can always outrun a beating if you're funny, um, which is a little sad. But like, uh, well, yeah. it's it's a little dark. But uh, if they're rolling around on the floor, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, stop, drop, and roll, right? Uh, <laughs> but I don't. That's not. That's not what I'm doing these days. But when I when I do yeah. stuff like like. Um, you know, I kind of just talk about my upbringing a bit and, and exaggerate and let them kind of know that in advance and let them know they're getting a little bit of a look under the hood of what, what stand-up mm -hmm. is. And so I, I do some stuff like I, we were like poor growing up 
And, uh, you know, it was just like my parents were ahead of their time. They had their three little kids practicing intermittent fasting um, and intermittent electricity, right? Like, uh, like we could only afford candles that like smelled that. like food, you know, stuff like that. Uh, you know, and like I wanted to join a gang when I was a kid, but I accidentally joined the church choir, you know, like just silliness, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and so that's a great way to just, you know, gain trust, gain, you know, attention. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time to get into, Hey, humor is the granddaddy of standup and humor is in a coping or an unintentional, unintentional. Right. And so it just, it lightens it up before we get to that Mm -hmm. stuff. And it, and it, and it gives me some credibility with them to, to get to that place. Cause those, you know, I, I've helped people with their books and I've done my own stuff and I help people in a lot of different ways. And when you start out, like, like I notice, like when people write memoirs, they want to offer the lesson almost right away or they're like, Oh, Oh, if I knew then what I know now, I'm like, I'm not interested in reading that yet. We're not there yet. You didn't gain anybody's trust (laughs) to be able to offer that lesson yet. Tell me a story, Mm -hmm. take me to dinner before you me, you know, and like, yeah. <laughs> you know, wait, this is so this is so great. This is so important. I want you to I want you to unpack this some more because this is this is really a big deal and especially it's not just when you're writing right. a memoir, it's when you're doing a keynote, when you're speaking, when you if you're because there is something about vulnerability, your willingness to be vulnerable and your ability to gain, gain trust with your audience. Right. When did you first learn that lesson? Gosh, you know, I think it's an ongoing thing, but I think, you know, one of the messages that I've been delivering for a while, I don't know if it permeated the writing initially. I think I had some really good editors. Like I had a bunch on that first book, but, um, and I just read a ton too, but, but on the, on the academic side, I've been delivering that message. Like often, you know, and it has to do with help seeking and help offering. Right. And so it's like, and here's where it comes from. Right. So like, I know a lot of people who are like, oh, my friend needs to get into therapy. They need it. They need help. I'm like, cool. I'm glad you know that. Uh, by the way, have you been to therapy? No. Oh, well. <laughs> what? You know, like maybe. May, and I say this a lot kinder than the than the hand waving I just did off right. camera. But like, uh, <laughs> but may, maybe maybe you need to get into therapy to to show them what it looks like to model that behavior, right? So often when we want somebody to do something in life, when we want to see somebody display a certain behavior, we need to model that behavior first. We need to take the first move in the game of vulnerability chicken, right? Like you got to be the one to make the move. Like don't wait for somebody else. So like to get someone to open up, to take in your message, to listen to you, you need to be uh, open. You need to break down those walls. You need to show way more of yourself than what somebody else typically would. You got to do it a little differently. Yeah. 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 And I I think that, you know, I don't think this is necessarily obvious to everyone just out of hand, but if you think about it, I know my experience is that I find it quite boring and almost nauseating at times when an entire speech is just, and here's another wonderful thing about me. And here's another amazing accomplishment that I, that I had. And, you know, that's not really letting the audience in at all. And it really just comes across as if you're a complete egomaniac. True story. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, and it's the same in your book. Yeah. 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 I, uh, it's nobody wants to read like, no, like, and it's like two things to support your point. 
one, uh, you know, I tell people like uh, if I was in finance or like if I was speaking on finance or leadership or whatever, it'd be like, look out, look at all these good things that I'm done and I'm doing. And on this side, you know, mental health, it's like, look how screwed up I am. Right. Like it's so it's not it's like, you know, but also it's like, look how I'm triumphing, you know, in, in spite of that. So it's a little bit of a tongue in cheek. But then there's also like, like, I have a really good resume. Like, I have a really good resume, like a bunch of books, a bunch of things, some journal papers, blah, 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 you know. And and it's it's nice when the event organizer, it's really, I, I appreciate it. They want to read all that stuff when they introduce me. I'm like, watch everyone's eyes roll in the back of their heads. Nobody cares. Right, right. Nobody cares. <laughs> Tell me what you can do for me now. You know, give a little bit of it. Yep. Let them know, you know, that you are on their side and that you have some expertise but let that unfold at times, right? It's like, it's almost like in the concept of book writing, the info dump, right? Where you're like, here's all right. the details and the backstory right here. Like, no, let, let's like tease it out. Don't tell me what everything about grandma here. Give it to me. Right. <laughs> drip, drip it out. <laughs> spread it out. You knew her, you knew her for 50 years. Let's spread it out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> Yeah. And you know, it's, it's more fun, right. To learn about somebody's inner world, to learn about mistakes they've made. Um, I think that's, that's actually not only more enrolling, but it's more instructive. Mm. And I guess the other thing that I would add is, and I also think, especially when you're a really highly successful person, tell people about your failures, because then there's somebody reading that, that maybe thinks that they don't have any hope or they don't have a chance and, and they might read your struggles and say, well, wow, if he could do it or she could do it, maybe I can mm. do it. Yeah. And if you don't give your readers that gift, then they never, you know, they, they just feel worse about themselves after reading your book than they did. Yeah. Before. Yeah. It's, it's uh, like uh, hustle and accomplishment porn. Like it's, it's what, what are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's it's empty it's vapid it's it's a bunch of sugar cards yeah. right like uh yeah. I, we learn so much more from struggle and then triumph rather than triumph 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 right like like i've been right. through divorce i've struggled with some addiction i've been through this suicide i've struggled right but here's how I'm growing and going and moving right in spite of that. Right. And, and everyone has their version of that, even if it's little, right? Mm -hmm. Like still tell your story. If you think it's little, still tell it because there probably is somebody in the room who's like, Oh my gosh, I thought I was the only one who thought hangnails were a big right. deal. Uh, right. <laughs> I'm not the only one. Well, good. Okay. If that's all you've ever been through, somebody else can relate to that. You know, I'm, I'm, Almost certain. So true. And yeah, and you know, that's such a good point too, because that minute specificity sometimes is really what does it. And one of my kind of sayings about writing that I often hear myself say to my clients or whoever asks, but I think the more specific and personal you are, the more universal your message becomes. That's right. Yeah, right. I think that's incredibly true because there's a lot of there's just a lot of relatability in. I mean, first of all, generality. It was Stanislavski, like Russian uh, or mm. Polish, Polish uh, kind of father of American theater in a sense. It's like generality is the enemy of all art, right? And then right. 
Right. You know, it kind of correlates to comedy, right? Like there's these little specificities, like the changing of a word. Mm. Like instead of, you know, my, uh, it was a hot pepper, like t call it capsicum instead, right? And like that might be a funnier word. Mm -hmm. Like so that uber specificity makes it better. That generality, it's not as much. But when you have the spe specific word, a specific experience, it's more relatable. It's more interesting. It's going to make some, some neurons fire in the brain, so... Yeah. And when you can give a, an example of a, a specific instance when you were demonstrating a certain kind of behavior, the other people who might struggle with that behavior will recognize that instance. Even if it's not exactly the same, they'll be like, oh yeah, that's my version of mm -hmm. this. you know. And again, it just helps people connect to you and your message and builds intimacy and trust. And this is not just on a stage. This is when somebody's reading your book, even though you're not in the room, you can build intimacy and trust with your reader if you're willing to be vulnerable. That's right. And I think I think that that even goes a long way in like a nonfiction, self-help, business, yes. whatever. It's like, this is how mm -hmm. we achieved 100 million in revenue and became a 17% uh, top year over, whatever. All right, great. Tell me a story. Tell me how you got there. Mm -hmm. Tell me how you failed, right? And be vulnerable right. because yes. you, you, why should I trust you? you know, give me, give me, tell me a story, right? That goes, there's stories go well in everything. It's the, it's, it's the bacon mm -hmm. of words, right? It goes pretty well. In just about <laughs> oh gosh, there's one. <laughs> there's a quote for the, there's a quote for the uh, all time greatest quotes about writing story is the bacon of words. <laughs> it goes with everything. I had to dig deep for that one. <laughs> I love that because <laughs> it's so true. I mean, what doesn't go with bacon? I can't think I'm, of anything. I'm, I'm blanking. I'm really blanking. <laughs> I make a mean bacon chocolate chip cookie. I'm not going to lie. Oh, yeah. I could believe mm -hmm. that. Uh, wow. See, now oh, now I'm going to be totally distracted. Now you're starting a food podcast, Robin. <laughs> All I can think about is bacon. Getting <laughs> <laughs> out a cookbook after this. Oh, right. Exactly. Everything with mm. bacon. There's a, there's a, there's, there's gotta be a Chocolate cookbook bacon. on that already. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Okay. Now we've got to get off of bacon. Get back on track. It's going to be just dead air for the rest of the podcast. Okay. So, uh, where were we? Um, all right. So what, what is next for you? Yeah. I am in the next couple of months, I'm putting out a book that has mental health themes, but it's largely, so it's more or less, it's the essential guide to finance, personal finance for teens and college students. And there's, there's, it's the basics. It's stuff that I know. It's stuff that, I mean, I've got a little bit of a finance background too, because I, I actually just completed a degree in organizational psychology, which is a business degree. I literally finished my coursework wow. yesterday and, oh, I'm not going to say, I, I'll, I'll leave it at that. It's, I'm about to drop resume, which is obnoxious. But, um, but anyway, so, so I have a big, uh, there's some, a lot of finance in that degree, but I mean, I've been investing and stuff for a while. And, and, and so the cool thing about this book is it's not just invest money, invest time, invest in your well-being and, and stuff like that. So it still builds on the mental health mm -hmm. stuff. So like, I'm just, you know, constantly trying to figure out more ways to have bigger and better conversations around mental health. Um, so that's a big one doing a little more in corporate. Um, and, uh, it's, you'd probably going to advise me against this, but, uh, I'm working on a fantasy novel fiction. I know, uh, that has mental health themes, uh, as well. Um, cool. it's, uh, it's a, it's a middle grade fantasy and it's a girl named, oh, wow. uh, Pablo Picasso. 
who's a burgeoning stand-up comedian. She's 13, and she's got to go in the body of a house cat to save uh, in the past to save the present. So um, it's it's uh, I, I got some some rewriting and some things to do. So. Yeah. Um, but even that book, yeah. even though even though it's not even though it's fiction, I'm gonna probably promote it as it were nonfiction because of the mental health mm. themes and stuff like that. Kind of like what I did with the one man show all those years ago. So, you know, it's a great, it's a great audience to get that, that suicide prevention message to, you know, that middle yeah. grade audience. So good Thanks. for you. And I wish you great success with that. Now, before I let you go, of course, I have to ask you my signature final question, which is what have I not asked you today? that you would love to answer? Oh my gosh. Um, that, is a, that is a fantastic question. Um, <laughs> uh, golly, geez. Um, I think you did a fantastic, like you're a great interviewer, uh, no lie. Um, but uh, I, I, I think we've covered a lot of ground um, and we've got some juicy stuff in the 40 minutes we've been hanging out. Yeah. So um, we, we did. But there's got to be one, even if it's just completely off the wall. Well, I guess, all right, what have you, well, we did, we talked about food for a minute and I guess eventually, eventually I'm going to be putting out a, a cookbook that has mental health themes because I'm a hell of a cook and oh, uh, I'll be making uh, lunch next and I'm, I, I have some, uh, some Moroccan skewers waiting for me to put in the, uh, put on the grill. Well, no wonder you don't have time to answer the question. I'm, but but I'm going to make you. So continue. Yeah, so, uh, <laughs> so you didn't ask me about uh, how do you know so much about chip bacon, Josh? And the answer is uh, because I really like to cook, and uh, I think it's eventually going to be part of my authorship stuff. But um, that kind of thing takes time. That's you you know that's that's a labor of love. Oh yeah, yes, absolutely. Well. I, I guess I'll need to find out when that cookbook comes out so we can try some of those recipes. Well, Josh, this has been uh, enlightening, informative, and most of all, fun. So uh, thank you so thank much you, for being with it's been us. It's a great time. Course. Appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.